May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Before the invention of the smartphone, I think people used to work crossword puzzles and do word searches, maybe play a little Sudoku, I don't know, whatever they do. But now, now you can send a text message to a friend anywhere in the country, probably anywhere in the world. And, and in just a matter of seconds, she or he'll get it. And the good thing is they'll stop whatever they're doing. I mean, whether they're at dinner with a special friend or they're um, visiting their mother or at a job interview, it doesn't matter. They'll stop and they'll real quick send you back a little message. And if it's clever enough, you know, if it's clever enough, maybe you'll send back another and that little back and forth will go on for a few moments. And if you don't want to do that, well, then you can pull out your phone and you can check your Facebook stats. Or you can see what your friends have tweeted on Twitter. If you're not up on Twitter, um, it's a little uh, social media where you can put out like 160 characters of what's on your mind. So as long as you're, what you're thinking fits into like one sentence, you can put it out there. Apparently people must have very little uh, complex thought going on today, so they can just put it out there. We should never be bored these days, should we? I mean, we should never be bored. We have, um, we have right in our pockets the ability to get the weather forecast. Not just for tomorrow, but for like the next hour. We can know whether it's going to rain in the next hour. We can look on our telephones at a baseball game like I did yesterday and see where clouds were and whether they were heading towards us. We can um, send messages to our friends. We can see how clever or unclever they happen to be in their Twitter posts. All these sorts of things we can do. We can even slash fruit with a samurai sword, one of my favorite games. Or, um, you know, ski downhill on a little uh, snowy mountain right from our telephone. Because we have to find something that keeps us from being bored. This is our biggest problem in the world, right? Boredom. I mean, give me liberty or give me death for heaven's sakes. Don't make me bored, right? I mean, keep me entertained. Give me something up to amuse me. And another check that we often have against boredom is, um, is an attempt to be shocked or amazed. And any spectacle will do. Um, in the 19th century, P.T. Barnum, you remember he opened in New York City his famous um, uh, American Museum which was more commonly known as the Freak Show, okay? And so you would go to Barnum's Museum and see things like the Bearded Woman. Um, if you wanted the date, maybe. I don't know. And you would go there and find uh, General Tom Thumb. Or perhaps you would see uh, Chang and Ng, the Siamese twins. You know, these things that sort of kept you entertained, you know, gave you a sense of amazement and, and kept you from being bored. And today we have television, movies... The internet, and as I mentioned before, cell phones. Last year, excluding cell phones, the entertainment industry in the United States of America grossed $597 billion. That's billion with a B. $597 billion. More than half a trillion dollars. That's more money than the entire gross domestic product of the sub-Saharan continent of Africa. That's more than ten times the gross domestic product of Sub-Saharan Africa. Imagine what would happen if we thought like saving hungry people would like good entertainment. I mean, we could change the world, right? But other jolts to our monotony 
or sometimes not the ones we want. You know, I mean, there's always these looks for these uh, attempts to find something that's sort of entertaining and exciting and a momentary pleasure. But there are other ones that come to us that we don't really want. You know, it's when you get that telephone call that starts off like this, Mom, Dad. Now, don't get angry, <laughs> you know, and then there's that pause, right? You, you know, that, that's when your heart kind of jumps in your throat and you're not really sure whether to be fearful. Or your boss calls you in and says, I've got some bad news. That's not the kind of break in your monotony that you want, is it? You'd rather check boredom. And then, or when your doctor calls you in and says the same thing. Don't need that sort of disturbance. Don't need that. I'll take the boredom over that any day. We don't even like the sort of break in our monotony when we walk out of the museum that we've been in for three hours and realize we parked in two-hour parking. <laughs> and someone else discovered that too and left a little slip under the, pay, under the, the windshield wiper. So in all of our attempts to avoid boredom, we do know that there are some surprises, some sort of startle, you know, uh, shocks to our system that we really don't want. You know, if it's between boredom and and that call from your child, you know, give me the boredom, right? If it's boredom or, or that, that message from your boss, well, give me the boredom. Some things you just don't want to hear. Some sorts of surprises you'd just rather not have. And that's sort of the case with Paul who writes to the Galatians in the New Testament lesson today. Because they have cured any possible boredom he might have had. Whatever was going on in Paul's life that might have been boring, well, no longer was that the problem when he dealt with the Galatian Christians. And just a little background between this. You, you know that St. Paul was one of the very first Christian missionaries. And, um, and that one of his early missionary journeys, he went up into the northern central part of, of Asia Minor, what we call Turkey today, and he began to plant churches. It was then called the, the region of Galatia. And he planted all these new little fledgling churches, little Christian communities that kind of sprung up and he stayed there for with them some time, presumably preaching and teaching and administering the sacraments, doing all the things that, that pastors do. But then God calls Paul on a new missionary journey. So these little new churches that he had started, he, he takes off and he leaves. He entrusts them to the care of other pastors, and he's gone. And while he's gone, some men from Jerusalem come up. They've heard about these churches, and they show up. They say that we have been Christians for a long time and we have messages for you. Turns out that their message is, really, Paul hasn't told you the whole story. There's a lot that he hasn't told you about the Old Testament, about you know, keeping kosher, about dietary restrictions, about um, you know, these uh, Jewish holy days that need to be observed, and so on. And Paul hears about this. And he's shocked. He's stunned. Stunned not in the, wow, this is amazing, those are conjoined twins sort of way, but more shocked in the way of, oh my word, my daughter just joined a cult, you know, sort of way. That sort of stun, the stun that you don't want to have, this is what Paul has. Will you take your bulletin and look with me at the, at the epistle lesson in Galatians chapter 1? About halfway through there, find verse 6. Here's what it says. Paul says in Galatians 1, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. This is the part in the letter where Paul is supposed to say, he's already introduced himself, he's already said a few things about what God has done. He's supposed to say, I really miss you. 
I think about you often. This is what manners and convention do in these days. You're supposed to write a letter, and when you say um, who you're writing, you know, the, the, your, your, your address, you know, I'm Paul, Joe, whoever, Frank, who's ever sending the letter out, you say some good things about God, and then you say good things about your friend. This is what people are supposed to do. I miss you. I think about you often. I thank God for you. This is what he says in 12 of Paul's 13 letters in the New Testament. They all follow the exact same pattern. Only this one is different. Only this one doesn't follow that pattern. I am shocked, he says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. It's sort of the rough equivalent of you writing an email to your friend. Dear Jean, how can you be so stupid? You know, she doesn't want to hear that or he doesn't want to hear that from you, right? This is not the way you write a letter. It's very abrupt. And you say, I've written that letter. Don't. You know, this is a, uh, how can you do that? Paul wishes to grab them, sort of by the scruff of the neck. You ever been grabbed by the scruff of the neck? <laughs> it gets your attention, you know. I remember when I was a little boy, I have this really sweet family friend. I always thought she was my aunt, Aunt Rosie. I found out later that my mother and her weren't related, but I always called her that. Anyway, Aunt Rosie was really sweet, really wonderful, still is. But she was really firm, too. And if you did something wrong, she had a quick hand. She'd grab you right by the scruff of the neck, and you knew that you had... This is what Paul is doing. Pay attention. Listen up. What is it that has him so angry? Why is he so, so quick to say, Listen to me. Look, look, look at the text. Verse 6 again. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. You see that? Who's the him? God, I cannot believe that you are so quickly deserting God. I can't believe this. I'm shocked, astounded. Dalmazo, I am blown away that you are doing this. You know, when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they not only come to a, a practice of religion, a weekly gathering of, of, of fellow believers and for a, a sermon to read scripture, sing hymns, and, and, and receive the sacrament, they come into a real relationship with God. That's the predicate to the gospel. The predicate to the gospel is this, that God wants a relationship with human beings. He wants a relationship with me and you and everybody else in the world. The Galatians experienced this. They knew it firsthand. They had come to a real, lively faith in Jesus Christ. And they gave it up. They gave it up. For what? For what did they give it up? Verse 6. You are turning to a different gospel, Paul says. You gave up a real, lively relationship with God for something that is fake. Something that is not real. You have turned away and turned to something. The word that Paul uses is, is um, like from a military uh, world where imagine you were a soldier with one uh, army and in the middle of combat you snuck across, defected to the other side and changed your uniform. The early uh, uh, um, continental armies had a word for this. It was called turncoats. Right? You went from being a blue coat to being a red coat. This is what Paul is saying to the Galatian Christians. I cannot believe that you all have turned into a bunch of turncoats. And here's the clincher. There is no other gospel. 
There's only one gospel. What are you doing? Why are you turning in your good thing for some trashy, non-existent thing? Why are you turning the real, authentic faith for what is a fraud? And here's the thing. He's shocked that it happened so quickly. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you for a different gospel. Now, just a few observations about this. The first thing is, I want you to notice that it seems possible in Paul's mind to abandon a relationship with God for a false gospel. Now, this doesn't mean that God abandons you, or God abandons me, or God abandons anybody, but it does mean that it's possible for us to abandon our relationship from our end. Not every message of Jesus Christ is equal. Not everybody who names the name of Christ does it with equal authenticity. And I know that sounds terribly elitist, but it's true. Listen, you can buy Park Place and Boardwalk with Monopoly money, but try to go to Manhattan and buy an apartment in one of those areas with Monopoly money. It doesn't work, right? It only works in that little one world, not in the world of of real economics. Be vigilant. You know, we put locks on our doors at home to protect our families and to guard things that don't really matter. Things that Jesus says moth and rust will corrupt and thieves will break in and steal. We put locks on our doors, sometimes security devices, all these sorts that we, you know, we guard our homes. I guard mine with an 80-pound Labrador who will lick anybody who walks in. But we, we guard these things, you know. Guard the faith, I think is Paul's message to us. The second thing I want you to notice is that there are people who will try to entice faithful Christians away. There were people. These aren't just you know kind of abstract uh, realities that are going on. There were actually people who showed up and began to preach a gospel that was different than the real gospel. Just this last month, there was an American bishop, not from our church, but from another church, who went to South America and preached a sermon from Acts chapter 16. This is the story where Paul is uh, going into Macedonia and there's this young girl who's following him and she's possessed by the Spirit and she's calling out you know, all these things about Paul and Silas and, and it's annoying to Paul. And Paul turns around, if you remember the story, and he casts this demon out of her. Now for 20 centuries, every Christian expositor, every single one of them for 20 centuries has said this was a merciful act of deliverance. Paul delivered this young girl from this demonic possession and set her free. This American bishop, however, in, uh, in South America, preaching says this, and I quote, that, that Paul responds to her annoyances by depriving her, this is this young girl, her gift of spiritual awareness. Paul can't abide something he won't see as beautiful and holy. Ah. <sighs> You talk about sympathy for the devil. I mean, this is it, right? I mean, this is, this is in the church someone saying that what Paul did was evil, that he was being intolerant. The worst form of evil, apparently, according to her. I want to tell you something. The church has always, in every century, this is not new, in every century has been assailed by false teachers. Some of them are on the outside trying to get in. But some of them are wearing pointy hats, you know. <laughs> they're carrying staffs. They got the crosses hanging on their neck. They're standing in pulpits, and they are they are destroying the church from inside. I think Paul's message to us is this: Be aware. 
Be aware. Be on guard against false teachers. Because the third observation is this. There is only one gospel. There's not another. There's only one gospel. There is no other. I know nothing about this, but I hear that the Secret Service agents who deal with counterfeit money, um, that they have found some quite clever counterfeiters. People who can do a really great job at making you know, fake $20 bills or whatnot. But the way that they prepare themselves to find counterfeits isn't by studying counterfeits, although they do do that. The way they prepare themselves to, to find a counterfeit is that they study the authentic. They study the real thing thoroughly so that they know it inside out, so that when they see something that's fake, they can spot it right away. We have the gospel. And so often it collects dust sitting on the coffee table or in the bookshelf. I think Paul's word to us is, pull it back off. Study it. Own it. Know it. Know it internally, deep down inside. And don't let anybody take it away from you. Maybe you've heard the story of a 20-year-old Michael Baker of Jenkins, Kentucky. Apparently, Michael, 20-year-old, thought that it would be funny for him to siphon gas out of a police cruiser. And so um, he took a, a, a hose and put it into the yeah, car, the police cruiser, when the cop wasn't looking. And, and he thought it would be even more funny to take a photo of himself doing it. And so he had a friend there with a camera taking a picture of him siphoning gas out of a cop car and sending up a universal sign of, um, well, you know, the sort of universal hand sign of I don't care um, to, to the camera. And then he thought what would be really funny is to take this photo of himself siphoning gas out of the cop car whilst his hand was up into this, uh, you know, symbol and post it on Facebook. He thought it would be absolutely hilarious. The next day, Michael was visited by the Jenkins Police Department. And they got the last laugh. Every day, people do stupid things. Every single day. You could look online, read the newspaper. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, you just cannot believe. How can people be so dumb? I mean, it's, just, it's almost unfathomable, isn't it? I think Paul would say the thing that would shock him the most, the thing that would be most amazing, the thing that would be the most foolish thing in the world, is to allow us to be robbed of this gospel. That would be really stupid. Don't you think? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.